Grace to you and peace from the God who is our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Consider the words of Solomon from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10, setting before us the value of God's names. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Dear brothers and sisters of Christ, what's in a name? Shakespeare's Juliet asks that question. What's in a name? A rose by any other name would smell as sweet. She's met, she's met her Romeo, member of the Montague family, sworn enemies of her family, family, the Capulets. So she's trying to convince herself, tell herself that a name really, it, it doesn't matter. That there's no connection between a name, a word, and who or what a person is. So Romeo could disavow his family name, or if he's not willing to do that, she could reject her family and everything would be fine. After all, what's, what's in a name? Well, at the opposite end of the spectrum is the name of the Lord. Solomon tells us there is great value in the name of the Lord. There is a direct connection between what God is and what God's name tells us about who he is. And Solomon gives us a way to to picture the value of that name as we enter a new year in a very uncertain world. I don't think I need to tell you all the things that are around us right now that make things about this year seem very, very uncertain. But the name of the Lord remains unchanged. And it's the name and character of the Lord that shapes our expectations of God and therefore of our future in this unsettling time. Solomon could have written, the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. God's word tells us he is a refuge, a fortress. But no, what he says is, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. It's Lord in all capital letters. When we find the word Lord spelled that way in the Old Testament, that tells us that this is a translation, a reflection of one particular Hebrew word, Yahweh. It is a name that all by itself points us to the gospel and identifies him as the God of free and faithful grace. 
The significance of that name was, re- was revealed to Moses at the time where he was trying to come up with more objections to the assignment the Lord was giving to him to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The root of that Old Testament forever name of God is the root for the verb that means to be, to exist. The verb comes into the picture when he says, I am that I am. So first of all, God's name says, I exist. He doesn't look to prove it. He proclaims it, and his people are to proclaim, proclaim it. I am. He exists. This tells us that he is absolutely dependent on anything of every, everything and anything else. He doesn't need anything in order to exist. So he is absolutely free. He's not compelled by a need or by an obligation. And the tense of that verb that's used there tells us that that God exists as a God who does not change. Literally, I continue to be what I continue to be. So when this Lord makes a promise to you, he doesn't change his mind. He cannot and he will not walk away from that promise. He's unchanging. And so that name had led one of the professors at our seminary, maybe a hundred years ago or so, uh, always tack on after the name Lord, the God of free and faithful grace. A whole lot of meaning wrapped up in that word where God says, I am. God's love comes to us not as though he owes us, so the, the reason isn't found in us. The reason is found in him. He has chosen to love us, and that is what he will do. He has made that clear to the world by sending that son who gets the name Jesus because he saves people from their sin. Now, grace, that love that comes to us as the opposite of what we've deserved, is absolutely essential for us because our fallen hearts have a long history of running in the wrong direction. The verse that follows our text 
I think fills out the picture and helps us visualize what's going on here even more. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The wealth of the rich is their strong fortress. They imagine it an unscalable wall. When we would seek safety and security in wealth, we dishonor our, our Lord, and we also burden ourselves with guilt and with problems that we are not equipped to manage. Try to imagine all your, your money laid out in front of you on a table in $100 bills. Maybe imagine it to be a million dollars. That would be a stack 43 inches tall. You feel secure, right, considering that 22-pound stack of paper. Now, that dishonors the Lord as if something that's made from what he created is more valuable than the creator. To essentially say to God, this pile of paper, I'm sure it will keep me safe and keep me happy. It'll take care of our needs because I can't rely on you. There's a a delusion there. A strong fortress, people with great wealth would think. They don't realize how many things can climb over that wall. If we should put our trust in money, our finances, our, our investment, thinking that is our God, our source of protection, one of the first things we'll find out is if it's that important, I need to protect it. Countless ways it can escape. Countless people who are eager to take it away from us. When you put your trust in wealth, set your heart upon it, like every other false god, it becomes a burden that has to be carried. What do you have to protect your money from these days? Thieves and, and robbers, hackers and con artists. Maybe you have to protect it from your own foolish choices. You have to protect it from inflation that takes its value away over time. Or maybe those retirement accounts. Reminder to us of how that value can drop and there's nothing we can do about it. Solomon elsewhere described the truth of our hearts, and that is to say, whoever loves money never has money enough. And that leaves us with another problem, a monumental problem, and that is that we are in debt. We have a spiritual debt that we owe to God the obedience and the praise that we have failed to give him. We've got that debt, 
and we cannot begin to pay it back. But yet, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. But can I say I'm righteous? We look inside honestly, we will, we will know better. In Psalm 118, the psalmist declares, Open for me the gate of righteousness. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. How can any person say, open that door for me and I'm going to go through? This door that is labeled for the righteous only. Well, we are given assurances through the name and character of our God. One of my favorite Old Testament names for the Savior is where in Jeremiah, he's given the name the Lord, our righteousness. We absolutely need righteousness. And in Jesus, God gave us that perfect righteousness. And that is his name. That is who he is. That is his unchanging value in a changing world. He, with his perfect life and his innocent suffering and death, is what we need to be able to set before God. He became our righteousness. Solomon gives us, I think, a, a beautiful way to kind of picture the protection that we enjoy through the name of God. Over recent years, when I would uh, teach the second commandment, the first lesson would always be on the value of the name of God. Before we say, don't misuse this, let's see what the value is and recognize that this is a name worth protecting and recognize it's a frightening thing to think that we could reject that value. I found a, an image of a chess piece online, a, a rook, the castle that sits on the, the corners. And it looked like a rook, and I cleaned out a num number of blocks, and as the lesson will go on, we would write in the different personal names for God and then would add to that writing in the characteristics of God. We have so many wonderful names to consider that our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that our God is Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier. Significant names that tell us what to expect. He is Father. He does what a father does. He is Redeemer, one who rescues people where they cannot rescue themselves. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that, that makes holy, the comforter, the counselor, the Spirit of life. He's Jesus, the Savior, Messiah. By his promises, God has another name where he connects the names of sinners to his name. 
I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We start to fill in the picture of everything that our God is. These things that mean that we can expect he will protect us. Yes, our God is, is love. He is faithful. He is compassionate. He is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is gracious and forgiving. Those different parts of God's name can be of great, great value in our, our prayer life. First of all, recognizing that we can't go before him to pray in our own name. We do that with our parents growing up. We go to them and say, would you give me this? Remember, I brought home a good report card. Or I took out the garbage. We go to them with big requests when we think our name is especially good. But then, of course, that means there are times when we can't go to them because our name is not good. We don't pray in our own name. We pray, well, we pray in the name of Jesus. That is, depending on who he is and what he has done. In the various needs of our prayer lives, what names or characteristics of God become important? When you are weak, when you are confused, if you find yourself suffering, if you find yourself alone and troubled, when you find yourself guilty and lost, what characteristics of God can you look to that speak to that particular need? We fall into the foolish idea that when in our prayers, what we need to do is to change God's mind and change who he is. But that's not the challenge of prayer. What prayer is all about is simply calling upon God to be who and what he says he is. Sometimes that means it's a confusing thing to call upon God to be compassionate when it seems like he is ignorant of our suffering and difficulties. But we cling to that name. Remember how Jacob got a new name. He had fled from his home after deceiving his brother Esau. He'd been away for quite a few years. And now as he's returning home with his family, he hears that his brother is coming with a few hundred armed men. And so he goes off by himself to pray to God. He wrestles with God and succeeds. What was his prayer? Not, hey, God, remember me, I'm Jacob, of all these things I've done for you. No, his prayer has power because what he says is, Lord, you promised. You promised to bring me safely back home. How can a man wrestle with God? Hold on to his promises 
a hold that he cannot break, that he will not break. What is the worth of the name of the Lord? One other way to picture it and consider it is this. Where the name of the Lord is, there the Lord is. Where the name of the Lord is, there the Lord is. The connection is is just that tight. Jesus is speaking about that in his high priestly prayer. He's talking to his father, and he says, I have made you known to them. Literally, the Greek there says, as Jesus saying, Father, I made your name known to them, my disciples. And I will continue to make you known in order that the love for you may have, you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Where the name of the Lord is there, the word of the Lord with this power of the Spirit, and see what this God wants. He wants to be in our hearts. He wants to be in our lives. When you pray to God, often in times of stress, confusion, or difficulty, what do you have to do to make God gracious? To make him compassionate? To make him faithful? It can't be done, right? We can't, we can't change that by our prayer. We can't change what his name is because he is already gracious and compassionate, forgiving, faithful. His name is love, now and forever. We use the name Jesus so often, and thankfully we're in a position where we can connect so many other things about him to our thoughts. Emmanuel, God with us, God on our side, Redeemer, Good Shepherd, who seeks out the strain, and when he finds them, carries them home with, with joy. Our prayers don't have to change God to be what we desire that he would be. Our prayers are built on the confidence of who he is. We can't make Jesus into a Savior because he already is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Run to it and know that you are safe. Amen.